Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast featuring social work researchers. I'm Jessica Renarsson, and learning should be relatable. Welcome to Relate Your Research, the online podcast for social work researchers. We're really excited today to have Catherine Ward from the University of Cape Town here to share with us. She's in the Department of Psychology, but has a real focus for parenting. And today we're talking about a parenting program that she has been working on for the last while. Parenting is a topic that's crucial when discussing early childhood development. And as part of our ECD series, it's a topic that I'm passionate about. So, Kathy, it's lovely to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jessica. It's lovely to be here. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and how your interest in parenting began. Sure. So, I'm a clinical psychologist and a community psychologist. I'm registered as a clinical psychologist in this country, but my training is in clinical community. And the community side is is kind of the public health side. And, And my particular research interests are in violence prevention. So um, once one starts looking at, at, at violence, one realizes that the people who are most likely to be victims and perpetrators um, are, are young men um, in the sort of adolescence to mid-20s kind of range. And, and when one starts unpacking the reasons for that, one of the very key reasons is child abuse when those uh, young people were older were younger, sorry. And the main perpetrators for young children quite often are are parents. And I just want to say that I'm using a very broad definition of child abuse. So when I say I'm using a a broad definition, very often when we think about child abuse, we think about um, children who've been beaten and injured and, and, you know, had boiling water poured on them, um, which, which may sound like a surprising thing, but in all of my studies, we've had some parents say, Uh, You know, when I got irritated with my child, I I poured boiling water on them. So that's the kind of harsh end of uh, of child maltreatment. But there is there is sort of the the end that perhaps is more normalised in many in many societies around the world, and that's corporal punishment. So spanking, slapping, and even beating is sometimes normalised. And I'm including that because we've we've done some research here in South Africa, which unfortunately hasn't been published yet, but we're working on it. There's robust findings from around the world, which is that corporal punishment, even spanking your child, even when they've done something wrong, isn't an effective means of discipline. It may stop the immediate bad behavior in the moment, but what it's mostly saying to children is, if you do bad stuff, do it so you can't get caught, because what it punishes is the getting caught. And it also crucially doesn't teach children what you do want them to do, the positive behaviors. And there's a fair amount of evidence from South Africa and internationally, um, it's quite strong evidence actually, that this increases aggression in children. So that's why I'm using this broad definition of of child abuse. And and maybe I should rather speak about it as harsh parenting. Um, Physical abuse and emotional abuse are really key. And and some of the work that we've done shows, uh, this is from the Cape Area Panel Study. So I just wanna give a shout out to the Center for Social Science Research for collecting the data. Um, It's a big study of young people in in the Cape area, um, and they followed them over a number of of ways of data collection. So it was a a longitudinal study of of the same people. And we reanalyzed that data, and we're able to show that young people who had been spanked at home or whose parents had yelled and screamed at them um, for doing things wrong, 
were, were less likely to complete their education, less likely to be well employed, and if they were employed, actually earned less than, than their counterparts who hadn't been hit or yelled at. So, so once we've got findings like that, and we know that there is this association with youth violence, it becomes really key if you're interested in the prevention of youth violence to start looking at parenting. I want to contextualize this a little bit further as well and say, I'm not talking about demon parents at all either. These are parents who, who in all my studies, want to do the right thing for their children. I very seldom, if ever, encountered a parent who was like, I don't want this child um, and I don't care. Um, and so what's happening is that parents want their children to grow up to be disciplined so that they can function in society and, and have self-discipline. And, and so, and they don't know what else to do other than hit their child. And, and I mean, everybody's yelled at a child in their care from time to time because, you know, children are very good at pushing our buttons. But, but my sense was this, this isn't a case of, of really bad parents. This is a case of parents who, who just don't really have alternatives. And so that led us to um, Parenting for Lifelong Health and the development of Parenting for Lifelong Health. Sure. So maybe you can share with us a little bit of context for, for this program, how it came about and, and where you chose to position the study. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say a little bit more about Parenting for Lifelong Health uh, in general, which is actually four programs. Um, and so what happened was, that I uh, was working with um, an Australian researcher, Matt Saunders, who's done a lot of work in the parenting area, and Francis Gardner from the University of Oxford, who's also done a lot of work in the parenting area, and, and Lucy Kluver, who is a social worker. And Francis and Lucy are based in the Department of Social Policy and, and Intervention at Oxford University. Matt's at um, the, the University of Queensland in Australia. Um, now, so Matt and Francis and Andy Dawes and I put in an application to evaluate a parenting program in South Africa with the, the, the specific goal of, of preventing violence against children. And we put in a funding application. So as, as you know, all research has to be funded because otherwise we, we can't pay anybody to go and interview parents or, or you know, get any work done, really. So we put in a funding um, application to a particular donor and um, at the same time, Lucy uh, had been doing, she, she's got a massive long-running study of adolescents in the Eastern Cape, the Mzansi Wako study, um, which is looking at uh, HIV-affected families. And she found that actually children, teenagers in HIV-affected families are more likely to experience this kind of, of harsh parenting that... Um, it can be considered a form of child abuse in itself, but it's also a risk factor for more serious forms of child abuse. Because, you know, if you start spanking a child and they make you really angry, it's quite easy for that to tip over into something more serious. So, so Lucy, um, and also working with Francis and others, uh, put in an application to the same funder to develop something for teens in, uh, in South Africa. And so the donor came back to us and said, look, um, there's, there's quite a bit of overlap in these teams. You, you both want to work in South Africa. Um, you both want to, to do very similar things. Can we ask you to work together and put in one application? So we knew each other, uh, we liked each other, and so we put in a new application. And um, so they reviewed it and, uh, and didn't fund it. <laughs> and so this is, this, is, this is part of the research game. Um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, at least we like each other. Uh, and that was, that was really a, the, the sort of strange, the strange foundation for Parenting for Lifelong Health, because what happened was then that the World Health Organization said to me, um, we've got a bit of money in South Africa that's not doing anything at the moment. Can we give this to you to do some of the formative work for a parenting program? Um, and I said, I'd be absolutely delighted, obviously. And um, Lucy had a DPhil student, um, now Dr. Jamie Lachman. And uh, so Jamie was doing his DPhil at Oxford at the time, and he took on the formative work, which we funded from um, uh, the World Health Organization initially, and then Elifa Labantwana and others. And if you go onto the Parenting for Lifelong Health um, website, you'll be able to see who all the donors are. I'm afraid I'm not going to list them all here. Well, and we can link the um, website in the show notes. So for anyone who's interested, the link will be below. Right. Yeah, so we, we developed Parenting for Lifelong Health um, for young children at that point. It's called Sinovio in South Africa, which, which is a, an Isiposa word meaning we have joy together. The program gets different names in different countries, so they give it a local name. But the sort of brand name that we have at the moment, overarching name, is Parenting for Lifelong Health or PLH for young children. So, so we developed the program for, for young children. We did a small pilot RCT, and then we got some more money uh, from Elifa Labantwana and others to do a bigger randomized control trial, which is the gold standard for these programs. At the same time, we started developing uh, Parenting for Lifelong Health for, for teens and parents. And so for the, the Young Children program goes for, is for parents of children aged two to nine. So that's firmly in the ECD space. And then we have the teen program for parents of children aged um, 10 to 17. Now, as we were developing these, um, one of our commitments is to make our work available as open source and as freely as possible to, to anybody who wants to use it. And we had that commitment right from the beginning. And uh, uh, the World Health Organization then said to us, look, um, you're doing this work on parenting. We've been talking to some of the established parenting programs, and there's some wonderful parenting programs out there. Um, there really are. Um, but what WHO had run into was that the ones that had an evidence base were often hidden behind a paywall. And for really good reasons, um, you know, if you're going to run a parenting program or any kind of social program, you want it to be run with fidelity to the program. And so what folks had said was, look, if you want to use our program, um, you, you need to buy the manuals from us. You need to, to you know, we will train you so that you, you're, you do it with fidelity. And that, and that costs money. So they set it up like that. We decided from the beginning that we were going to be different. And so if you go onto the PLH website, you can see our manuals. Um, there's one that isn't, that's still in the editing process at the moment. Um, and there, there you can have a free download. Um, we, we do tell people that if we train you, um, likely you will do better with it. And the reason for that is uh, it's not a didactic program, and I'll, I'll come to that in a moment, but it's, it's one that... Um, needs quite a high level of facilitator skill who works Socratically with the parents to, to guide them to the answers that they come up with the answer. And so what we also did at the same time was we said, gosh, um, well, that covers the age group 10, uh, 2 to 17 with two programs, but we don't, you know, Lucy and I don't really work with very young children. Um, but we knew that Mark Tomlinson at Stellenbosch University and Peter Cooper and Lynn Murray at Reading University had been collaborating 
on other work. One for, um, it's a program that's intended to promote parent-infant attachment. Uh, and that um, uh, starts in pregnancy and goes up to six months of the child's age. It's a home visiting program. And then a dialogical book sharing program, which uh, is not about reading, but it's about parents sitting with their children and sharing books with just pictures, no words, and stimulating vocabulary, um, stimulating attention, and so on. So, so those four programs are all in the PLH suite. Um, but Parenting for Lifelong Health for Young Children, PLH for Young Children, is really my baby, as it were. So that's the, that's the background story. That's fantastic. And it's so lovely to hear, in some ways, the, the road that it took to, to gather your team. And, and as a program develops and grows, so does the interest from outside funders. And that's a story that's coming out actually in more than one episode is the, the need for funding, as you say, into the social science and, and into the community context. So it's great, actually, to have these conversations. Um, so maybe you can share with us some of the research findings and how how the the project rolled out. So, so the way that we we started this was um, Jamie did some focus groups with uh, parents in Kailicha and asked them what their needs were in terms of a parenting program. And they said, uh, uh, essentially, in a very brief summary, we don't like hitting our children. We want to have some more positive ways of doing things. And also, life for us as parents is very, very stressful. So we, we need some stress reduction techniques. So with that input and looking at the academic literature, which is on what's an effective parenting program, which is quite big at this point, we, we put together a program that I think is really skillful in, in terms of the way it works with, with parents. So we have the standard things that most parenting programs have. It's based on social learning principles. The first few sessions of the program establish the parent as, as the reinforcer, really, I suppose. Um, and then we move on to um, supporting the behavior that you do want to see. So, so catching your child being good and praising them or rewarding them in some way. Um, household routines and things that help children feel secure, I think particularly important in unsafe environments. We move then on to consequences. So if, if children do transgress or do something that you don't want them to do, how you handle that in a nonviolent way with, with a consequence or by with, with younger children and particularly toddlers, distracting them, redirecting their attention can often just be the stitch in time that saves nine. You know, if you can distract them in time, you probably don't need to resort to anything else. Older children will need consequences more. And through all of this, we weave two things. We do mindfulness-based stress reduction with parents, which is a very evidence-based stress reduction approach. We stress problem solving. So good programs in the prevention space do a couple of things. One is you role play the new skills in the program uh, in, during the sessions. So parents, parents will pretend to be a child and a parent. They'll be in sort of twos or threes pretending that and they will practice the new skills then they take them home they practice them at home and we check in on their homework when they come back and that that's a key thing and through all of that you know if a parent gets stuck with her homework the facilitator doesn't say oh here's what you should do uh, we problem solve as a group so that parents learn the problem solving approach which is quite good for for tackling things like depression but also because in a 12-session parenting program, you can't cover absolutely everything that a parent's going to face. Uh, 
Yeah, so we try to harness those. So that's the sort of structure of the program. Sessions are two to three hours, depending on the setting. It's lovely to hear the, um, the structure and the format, and particularly for those listeners who are working in non-profit settings or community-based settings who are working with parents. It's always helpful to kind of see the, the program laid out like that. So thank you for giving that overview. And, and also just to say that our manuals are a free download of our website, so feel free to go and take a look um, if the listeners want to go to the show notes. What we did was we recruited folks who, who had an ECD certificate in QF level four, so they had the equivalent of matric, and who had some group facilitation, facilitation experience. And one of the reasons that we were doing that was, was we're trying to keep this program as low cost as possible. And if you have a psychologist like me running a program, it becomes hugely expensive. So that's one thing. So we, we wanted to do a bit of what's called in the literature task shifting. In other words, we, we train folks who are like community workers and they work under the supervision of somebody who is more skilled and that keeps things a little bit uh, you know, more low cost. But the other advantage of that is I don't live in Kailicha. I don't you know, work routinely in that environment. And so actually our facilitators bring an enormous amount when we select them in this way because they understand what parents are going through. They know the communities. They, they speak the local language. And so even though I'm using the language more skilled, that's in air quotes because, because our facilitators are actually really important partners. Uh, regardless of what their formal academic skills are. And so uh, my colleague, Judy Hutchings, who's an important part of this, she's based at Bangor University in Wales and has done parenting work all her working life in uh, child and adolescent mental health services. And she came out and she trained our, our field workers alongside Jamie. And what we did was they had a five-day training from Judy in the contents of the program and in group facilitation skills. And then what we did in the initial training was that on Monday morning, they would receive session one of the program. So Jamie would deliver the program to them as as parents, and they were all parents. And then on Monday afternoon, they would workshop how they were going to do the program. So they work in pairs, they're going to figure out who's going to do which part. And we we tend to have them taking it in turns to lead the discussion, and then the other person uh, keeps notes on a whiteboard and so on. And then on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, they would deliver uh, the the program. And on Fridays, we would have a group supervision session. We videotaped our um, sessions. And that's that's part of the research puzzle we need to pick up because we really want somebody to go through and to analyze those videotapes and look at the skills of the facilitators and do some in-depth research on that. So so one of the the fun things about being a researcher is the frontier is always moving one step away. But the importance of the videotapes from a supervision perspective was, was that we were then able to support them to develop more advanced skills. So we'd say to them, um, find us a point in the tape where you thought you were doing a good job and find us a point in the tape where you got stuck. And then we would workshop that with them wow. and role model what we do in the parenting program. And again, speaking to the importance of partnership when working in a community context, I think ECD is very much in that space where if we're not talking about partnerships and collaborations, we're missing the point, actually. So this is obviously part of our ECD series and early childhood development has become a real buzzword um, and particularly in South African education and it continues to grow in its 
breadth and depth as we discover more about it. And parenting is is a very crucial component. How have people responded to hearing about the work of parenting for lifelong health? I think there's generally been um, enthusiasm. I'm also very aware that we're not the only parenting programs in South Africa, that there are other organisations that have really nice parenting programs. The the way I look at this is that that my commitment here is is not actually to PLH. PLH is kind of an incidental vehicle for me to have the fun of doing research. But I have done work on other parenting programs in South Africa, um, continuing to collaborate with other parenting organisations. And I think that one of the key things that we should be thinking about in the ECD space, let me say maybe two things that we should be thinking about and that I'm pretty passionate about. So so from a practice perspective, the Children's Act, as you know, mandates that there will be prevention and early intervention for for child maltreatment. And so I think uh, PLH fits in that space. I think a 12-session program is probably more on the early intervention side, and that's certainly how we tested it. There are other programs uh, that, that might be even lower cost and more accessible for parents that would be more, you know, the primary prevention space. But one of the things that I think we really need to do is we need to boost the number of parents who can access the support in a big way, and that goes back to all the low-cost things that I was talking about. It's crucial um, you know, particularly given the work that we've done from the CAP study showing that, that actually harsh parenting has a very bad effect on children's very, very long term. You know, the, the earnings and so on, those, those people who responded to that study were in their 20s. So that's a serious issue. Um, the, the other thing that I have a very big commitment to is the evidence base. We need to do more randomized controlled trials of parenting programs. And that's not a small undertaking. It's a very big ask because it takes a long time and a lot of thought and a lot of care to, to make this work. I'd love it if you could see my hand gestures, but never mind. I'm, I'm holding up my hands so that I've got, you know, two groups in the air. Um, <laughs> and um, really what we want to know is if we give uh, PLH kids, as, as we call it affectionately for short, to, to a group of parents, does it make things better for them? So we kind of want to know what are they like what would they have been like without the program and what would they be like with the program? Now, we can't both give parents a program and not give them a program. So what we, what we need to do is we need to have equal groups at the start of our, of our assessment here. Um, groups who are equal in terms of the behavioural problems they face with the children, the stresses that they find at home, um, all of those kinds of things. And so that's why we need a fairly large sample and and random assignment. Um, And that takes care of all of those things. Like I say to my students, random assignment is the closest thing we have to magic and science because it really makes the two groups equal. And without that, you you never have secure evidence that things are are doing really well. So we did what we call a pre-post where we just have one group of parents and we assess things at the beginning and we assess them at the end. And when you do that, um, what we found uniformly is that we have quite big effects on parents. But without that comparison group, it's really hard to tell. And um, I have to say that that in South Africa, we did find some some effects. We we want to know how do they stack up against the comparison group, not how do they stack up against themselves at the beginning, because parents can and do change over the course of an intervention. 
We found that on average parents attended um, eight and a half sessions. Of course, that, that is an average. And that's quite high. Um, it's, you know, eight, and, eight, eight and a half of 12 is, is slightly higher than the global average for parenting programs where people have looked at that thing, that kind of thing. We assessed them at baseline immediately after the program and the long-term follow-up. And immediately after the program, we found that there were parents who were using more positive parenting strategies. We found that their, their children were um, more positive in their interactions with them. And then we found that, that we were able to see the more positive parenting and more positive child behavior in the intervention group one year later. So we came back a year later and, and we're one of the very few parenting programs in the world to have done a one-year follow-up. Most follow-up periods are shorter, so we, we held ourselves to very rigorous standards. We had parents report on what they were seeing in their children, and we watched them interacting with their child in a sort of 10-minute um, little video clip where we filmed them playing with their child for 10 minutes and then coded the behavior. The, what the parents reported, by the time we got to the one-year follow-up, there were some indications that um, they, were, they were doing better, but the strongest indication came from the observed parenting. And this tells me two things. I like the ob observations because they're independent of the parents and we don't have any self-report bias. So we don't have parents who feel under pressure to tell us what they think we want to hear. But it also tells me that in this context, this parenting program could only be regarded as promising because we didn't have strong, robust, we definitely have reduced, reduced violence uh, in, in families at the, at the, uh, the one-year follow-up. We, we did find some reductions in violence immediately after the program. Now, when we went back and we looked at our data in a bit more depth, that was because the control group had made enormous strides as well in almost every area. And that's a very interesting finding because we spent quite a bit of time with our parents uh, in the observation. So the control group also had, were visited by a field worker. They took part, both groups, everybody took part in a, in a long interview about themselves, their children, their mental health, and so on. And they did that at baseline immediately after the program and again a year later. And each time we did this observed assessment. Now, I don't know for sure what was going on, but I think it made a difference to parents to have somebody come and be interested in them and their child. And we did have, and this is just anecdotal, it is not strong scientific evidence. We went back and we interviewed some parents from the control group about how they had found things. And, and, and a couple of them, and it literally is only about two, said, you know, we really enjoyed playing with our child. We'd never played with our child before. And, and they actually thought they'd had the intervention. They didn't realize that that was the control group, that that was an observation. So we've had different results in the rest of the world. So we've actually done randomized control trials of this program now in um, uh, the Philippines and in Thailand. And there we've had very robust results showing reductions in violence against children. So I'm comfortable saying that there is in fact evidence that lends support to this as a violence reduction program and as promotion of positive parenting. The evidence from South Africa specifically is not as strong from the randomized control trial. And I would be very curious to do more work in trying to unpack what it is the parents really want to need. And, and if there's the possibility that we could even make a big, a big impact 
simply by having parent support groups like the Parent Centre runs, for instance, and, and giving parents uh, some time to be with each other and to play with their children may, may even be quite a powerful primary intervention. And from that, maybe we, we could then select parents who need more uh, support for and, and, and maybe do something like peer-age kids. So, so this, this trial was really fascinating and opened up a lot more questions for me about, about just how uh, marginalized South African parents are, that, that the, you know, possibly even simply having field workers show up uh, three times over an 18-month period and playing with your child for 10 minutes uh, three times over that 18-month period really changed things for you. So, so yeah, so it was a very interesting experience. Very, very interesting. And for our listeners, we have a, a topic coming up in the next few weeks actually on parent support. So it's lovely to hear you tag that in um, because, as you say, there's this complementary component of support and education and maybe not every parent needs all of them all the all of all intervention all the time so if you are interested in that keep your eyes open for that episode and so Kathy maybe you can share with us um, if you had any challenges along the way in the development of the program or the writing up of the research we have avid researchers following following the the series but also people that are, are on the ground doing the work and Sometimes I think we tend to stay away from sharing the challenges, but actually that's where a lot of the learning takes place. So if you have any to share with us today, that would be wonderful. Yes. I want to take my hat off to Jamie in the first instance and also to Inga Vessels, who is also now Dr. Inga Vessels, having done her PhD looking at parent engagement um, in this trial. And Inga was our trial manager for our bigger RCT, where we had 296 parents. Mm. Um, because I think without them, you know, and the day-to-day attention that they gave, we, we wouldn't have been able to do this work. The challenges from the research perspective, I think twofold. One is supporting the, the fieldwork staff. So this is now separate from those who are, are doing the facilitation, but I'm talking about our folks who went and did the home visits to interview the parents. And, and again, we had a very dedicated cadre of wonderful people um, but we had three armed robberies uh, in the course of, of doing this work. And I think that that's one of the things about doing research in, um, we worked in Kailicha and in Nyanga, and we specifically chose to work in high violence communities. But I think one needs to be aware of that. Um, do some safety training with your field workers. Uh, we learned very quickly that what we needed to do was to make sure that they were always accompanied by somebody who was known in the community. And so what we did was we went to, in the one place, uh, I think in Saitsi Kailicha, we went to the local taxi association. And in Yanga, we went to the ward councillors for the, we worked in three electoral wards in, um, in Yanga. And with their help, we were able to employ members of the community who were simply guides. So they walked with our field staff up to the door. They didn't come in. Um, they weren't part of the interview, but they, they simply were, were people who walked our field workers through that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not an experience I would care to repeat, and I'm sure my staff wouldn't either. So that's, that's something we had to think through. The other is that there is an emotional impact to doing this work. And so as, um, 
you, you know, people are going to homes that are really very poor. And even if they live in the same community, that can be a shock to the system. And so we, we didn't, uh, I don't recall having to report any parents for child abuse, but we did have to do things where, for instance, um, we went into a home where there was a child who was very disabled, um, her, her wheelchair was broken and was in for repairs, and the mom was very stressed and not really coping. And so we had to refer that family for extra support. I would never go into the field without a really good resource directory of the agencies working broadly in that area, intimate partner violence, uh, food support, substance abuse, disability support, mm. you know, all of those social service agencies that social workers are, are thinking about mm. are actually key to the success of a trial because you can't walk into somebody's home, do these interviews and just walk out again. Yeah, so those, those are some of the challenges we ran into. No, that's really practical. Thank you. And, and relevant, particularly in a South African context where we are dealing with different homes, different setups and, and different contexts wherever you go in the country, but always the reality does exist. So yeah. always good. Who would you say that this program is created for? Who would benefit from the materials that are online? Um, you've said that it's open source, which is fantastic. So um, already that opens it up to, to our listeners. But who would you be wanting to target with, with this study and with these resources? I would say anybody who's working in the parenting sphere who wants to run a parenting program, I think you, you will likely find our materials helpful. I think this program is really good for parents who, who have got early warning signs of being very stressed themselves, uh, maybe some early child behaviour problems. It's not, it's not a tertiary intervention for a child with very difficult behaviour that would go to you know, Red Cross Hospital as a tertiary intervention kind of level and who needs one-on-one -on -one intervention from, from a, um, a therapist of some sort. You know, then, then one needs something like um, parent-child interaction therapy, which, which Red Cross is now, um, they've got folks who train to do that. That's one-on-one -on -one coaching of the parent behind a one-way mirror as they're working with their child, that kind of thing. That's a very intensive level of intervention. And, and some parents will need that level of support. This, I would say, is more at the secondary level. Um, there are other... Um, you know, other programs that are even lower cost that would be suitable, I think, as a primary intervention. And I was going to say, we're playing with this a lot. Um, we're we're, we're uh, doing some work in Eastern, three countries in Eastern Europe. Um, it's a big consortium of folks led by Nina Heinrichs at the University of Bremen in Germany, but with wonderful partners in Moldova, which is the Health for Youth Association, in uh, North Macedonia, which is Alternativa, it's an institution that provides family therapy and staffed by um, actually the folks we're working with are psychiatrists, um, but I'm presuming that they've got social workers and psychologists on staff. And uh, in Romania, where we're working with the Department of Psychology at uh, um, Babej Baloi University, which is in uh, Cluj-Napoca in, in Romania. And we're adapting the kids program there. We're looking for the most effective, cost-effective and scalable version of the program there. And, uh, and the outcome that we're interested in is child behavior problems. So we've just done, um, it's a really interesting uh, uh, study. So we, we, what we did was we, we did a small pilot study 
um, with groups in each of those programs, translated the program into Romanian, which gets used in Romania and in Moldova, and into Macedonian for the folks there. Um, I think we've got some Albanian and some Russian coming up as well. Uh, tested it, uh, went very well for the most part. I mean, there were some practical challenges. The other thing that I will say uh, in terms of engaging parents is that parents who get jobs, it's very hard for them to engage. It doesn't matter what country you're in. Um, because particularly if we're working with low-income folks, you know, they, they, it's difficult in, in, a, in a dangerous neighborhood to run a program in the evenings. Um, parents who work uh, often work very long hours. They work a long way from home. Um, Saturdays are for chores, Sundays is for church. So, so we actually, we lost folks from the program. The main reason we lost them was because they got a job. So that's a sort of out way. So once we'd adapted the program for use in those three countries, what we did was we randomly assigned 16 groups in each country to get a different version of the program. So we tested a 10 session version and a five session version. We tested, um, the supervision. Now, we had a very firm belief that supervision of our community workers is essential to success of the program, but it is a question that gets asked by policymakers because it's something you have to pay for. And, and you know, can we trim that? And we always adamantly said no. So we thought, well, let's, um, you know, put our money where our mouth is and test it. And so some of our, our folks who were delivering the programs uh, got supervision, I think, once a fortnight. Um, and the other folks could ask for supervision if they wanted it. And then we also tested engagement boosters, which were whatever the country thought would be appropriate. SMS messages in the week when you weren't meeting, um, giving parents like a toiletries pack if they attended the program, uh, paying for transport, providing childcare. I think we, we provided childcare as a standard. So we'll say there are three things that show up in the literature from around the world that, that enhance engagement of parents, providing childcare, providing transport or giving them transport vouchers or some way covering their transport and, and providing a meal um, enhances engagement, which, which makes a lot of sense. And I think anybody listening to this will, will realize that. So we were fairly sure that we were going to end up with a 10 session program with supervision. So the purpose of this was, it's a factorial experiment. So we're comparing 10 versus five and supervision on and off. And, you know, and then out of that we go, What's the most cost-effective version of the program? And the, the answer was blindingly clear that a five-session version of the program with supervision on demand and no engagement boosters, so the most low-cost trimmed model you could absolutely think of, um, was the most cost-effective. So we were just debating how on earth you do a randomized control trial of a parenting program during COVID at the moment, but uh, that will be tested. And, and we're going to see if that, if that delivers effectiveness. Um, we have to have the randomized control trial because all we know is that five was at least as good as 10. Um, we don't know whether it was effective. So we're very interested to see that. And the other thing that we have done, and this is, this is Lucy was um, standing in her kitchen one morning um, in, in about March, listening to the, the radio, she lives in Oxford, and the, you know, the BBC or whatever was saying, and we might be closing schools, and she's got two children who are in the ECD age group, and she went, how on earth will I cope if we, if we close all the, the care centres? And so she mobilised the whole team, 
and we developed some um, COVID-19 parenting. So you can probably also put this into the show notes, COVID-19 parenting, all one word, no spaces, no hyphens, no dots, um, COVID-19parenting.com. And you can download, we produced some, um, like we distilled the essence of the parenting programs into memes that you can pass around, including um, some, a little song that's been developed for us and sung professionally uh, about to help parents remember to keep calm and what to do to keep calm. And um, so that, that material is available free of charge. And so what's happened in the team, I have uh, two postdoctoral fellows working with me, Dr. Lengiwe Sakolo and uh, Kufre Okop. And Kufre took these memes and started passing them out to his friends and relations around the world. And they absolutely love that. Um, and so what we're now doing is we're about to test a WhatsApp group form of, of PLH for young children. And that might make a great sort of primary care thing. What we're envisaging is there'll be a moderator of the group. There'll be 10 to 15 parents on the group. The moderator will release one of these memes slash information booklets a week. The parents will discuss it. They'll try it at home. They'll give feedback. Just so it'll be like an online WhatsApp version of the parenting groups. And, and if that's shown to be effective, I think that's a lovely thing that could go to scale, you know, tomorrow. So we're working. Yeah, we're working with Clowns Without Borders again, which is lovely. So, yeah, around the world. In fact, our, our folks, our partners on the RISE project in Moldova, North Macedonia, um, uh, Romania, our partners in the Philippines, and many others who, who I have slipped my mind for the moment are going to be working on that um, and taking that forward now. Oh, that's fantastic. Kathy, any closing comments that you would like to leave with our listeners? Um, many who are avid researchers, um, maybe you have some, some words of wisdom for, for them going forward. Just, you know, part of, I think, doing social science research is, is um, you know, as soon as you think you have an answer, you realize that the world is more complicated than that. And, and so I think this work has really given me um, a sense of humility in the face of um, the scale of problems that parents face, the, the, the smallness and yet the power of a small intervention, um, and, and, and also of the creativity of the team that I'm privileged to work with. Um, you know, Lucy in her kitchen on a Tuesday morning suddenly becomes a whole new primary care out, outreach. So, so really, I, I just feel enormously privileged to do this work. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today on parenting, um, violence prevention, but also just your heart for, for research and the importance of evidence base um, in the social science. It was fantastic. Thank you. We're halfway through our ECD series. Keep joining us for more interesting topics and conversations on early childhood development and social work research.